Hey, Bike Portland podcast listeners, your host, Jonathan Maas here. I just wanted you to know that what you're about to listen to isn't a new episode. You might not realize, but we actually launched our podcast in 2013 when I co-hosted it with the wonderful Michael Anderson and Lillian Karabayek. We published about 20 episodes between 2013 and 2016, and so what we're doing now is just re-uploading them all to our current host. You can find links to all our episodes at bikeportland.org slash podcast. So sorry for any confusion, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome to the October 2013 episode of the Portland Afoot Podcast, a Bike Portland production about buses, bikes, and low-car life in PDX. I'm Lillian Kerbake. I'm Jonathan Moss. And I'm Michael Anderson. Each month, the three of us go in-depth on a subject that matters to Portlanders who get around without a car. And we give it to you in the time it takes the average Portlander to get to work. For the last few months, we've been talking about economics. And city hall politics. And carnage. But this month, we're talking about... Adventure. As we enjoy Portland's fleeting bit of fall weather, we're devoting the full 20 minutes to one of my favorite ways to get outside and do a bike ride. That's rural roads out in the countryside getting a little taste of adventure. We're talking about real touring on the asphalt. Or better better still, on gravel. I'm very excited to say that Jonathan is back with us in one piece this month. Uh, He was absent last month after a crash on Germantown Road. Yes, an unfortunate episode, going too fast downhill into a corner and laid it down and slid all the way across the road. But I'm healed up now and the scabs are gone and I'm ready to ride. And this is right after you got back from a thing that sounds terrible to me, which is pedaling all over rural Oregon. Well, down the Oregon coast. Yeah. Yeah, which a lot of people, when I said I was going to do this Oregon coast ride, so we rode from Astoria down to Brookings, people were warning me, it's so dangerous, you're going to have a terrible time. It turned out to be great, but then after I got home and I was just a few miles from my house on Germantown Road, I ended up having the big crash. So it's kind of funny, but there you go. Mm. So this is something that uh, Jonathan does a fair amount, recreationally and, uh, and professionally, I guess. And I don't do it all. I'm a total city slicker. I think of long bike tours as like, you know, crotch pain and uh gotta get you a better saddle yeah i guess so anyway it's it's not something that uh, that i do so i'm eager to hearing why you guys enjoy it so much and what's so great about it and how to do it better and i i do a fair amount of this i am on the board of cycle wild which is a organization that gets people out to go camping by bike uh in the portland ride shed and we lead a bunch of group free rides about 12 a year or so And the ride shed is anything within a day's ride of Portland, and we extend that using the max. Um, So, you know, we've done we've done all sorts of uh, rides on pretty much every every direction from Portland. So, yeah, and the rural road riding issue isn't just about touring and loading up your bags and panniers. The fact is, tons of people around Portland ride on rural roads every day, Uh, in every direction. Really, we've got great. I guess you could call them country roads. That's a little easier to say, but essentially roads outside the city where, you know, you don't, sometimes you don't really have a shoulder to ride in. Uh, You know, you're going through what Portland and Oregon has a lot of, which are farm roads and, and just getting out there. Uh, So, you know, a lot of people do this that are people that are training and trying to get a lot of miles in because maybe they race or something. But increasingly uh, as bike tourism has gotten more popular, 
and people just wanting to do more things with their bike. They're going out on the weekends and, and getting a taste of the roads out in Washington County or out in Clackamas County, uh, you know, and governments are paying attention to this. So there's been a lot more subsidy of, of, of uh, you know, signing these routes and promoting this kind of riding. So there's been a lot of issues that come up. So I thought it'd be a great thing to talk about today, just uh, what that encompasses and uh, who's doing it and what are the good routes. And then we can talk a little bit about some of the, the legal and policy issues around it. Yeah. Why do you think this is so popular in the area? Well, I think partly is to get back to our land use laws and the fact that, you know, we have this urban growth boundary, so it doesn't take too long of riding. It takes a long time, yeah. yeah. You, just, you, you know, you pedal for an hour and you're out and in you're the in, middle of nowhere. Right. It's yeah, really, exactly. I think that's that's long been one of the most beautiful things about mm-hmm. Oregon cities to me. When I lived in Eugene, yeah. it took 20 minutes to be in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. You, you could literally get on the spring water from downtown Portland and what, Lily, 40 minutes or so, yeah. you're, you can be in some beautiful country roads. Yeah. We, a couple of friends of mine and I did just wanted to go on a long bike ride. Not an organized thing, just a group of friends wanting not a race. Uh, we did a totally generic century, as we called it, which later we called the data coverage century because we a kind century of... that's 100 miles? Yeah, 100 miles. And essentially we just rode in a big kind of not particularly fast group all day in a giant loop around the Portland metro region so that everywhere we were at we still had data coverage, which was, which was <laughs> accidental, but uh-huh. it was definitely true. Um, and one of the great parts about that is that it's really easy to be on these beautiful rural roads but because of our urban growth boundary, you can still at any time sort of decide that you want to bail and hop back on TriMet and get into town if you really need to. Mm-hmm. So it was there was multiple points in the day where you were able to sort of decide if you wanted to keep going. Yeah, the max in transit plays a huge role in why this is a big deal in Portland. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, whether you go west and use the max to get out to Hillsboro, which connects you to the Banks Vernonia State Trail, which is a major, major thing. Uh, if you go, sorry, east toward Mount Hood, you can, you know, head out to Gresham on the Max and, and get started on your adventure there. So the Max and, and TriMet's uh, transit access is a huge part of what's going on. Yeah. Cool. So what are our favorite trips? What's the best places that you guys have gone and what's the best things that have happened? What do you pick your favorite ever? Oh, ever. I will say my favorite consistent trip is going to Stub Stewart. Um, which is just 22 mile bike ride from the end of the Max Line in Hillsboro. It's like a state park. It's a it's a very new state park. It's only been around for I want to say seven years now. It's a very new. They sort of made lemonade out of lemons. There's a lot of it is uh, clear cut land, so it has a great view, and then everything else is sort of second growth forest up there. But it has half of your ride is on the Banks Vernonia State trail which is actually a linear state park technically it is not it is not a road nor hmm. is it a trail it is a linear state park um <laughs> and uh so it's just it's a really easy beginner ride i love taking people that are interested in bike camping but scared off by the mileage or don't have a ton of time because you can do a trip that's less than 24 hours out there and still get out in nature and go camping and their cabins are quite inexpensive so if you want to do a winter trip it's you can still get out in nature on your bike without without freezing or snow camping yeah i would just say i mean for me the thing that i ride the most that i would just be terribly sad if i couldn't ride anymore would just probably be the roads between here and uh here and basically the banks trail uh the washington county roads out hillsborough beaverton all the stuff north of mostly north of highway 26 it's just so beautiful out there and so empty it's just farms. Uh, it's just, and there's tons of fun things you can find 
you can climb up and down through from skyline and back down to the valley uh, and it's so accessible i mean i could literally do a lunch ride and be out in the countryside riding on farm roads and stuff so every, that's really every good. time i go out there to step Stewart, i think I could work, I could live in Portland and work out here. Like, I convinced myself this would not be an unreasonable commute, which I probably would feel differently if that was actually my commute, but I often convince myself, like, I could commute to Banks every day. <laughs> but even headed the other direction, I mean, just this weekend, I went out and did 100 and some miles out uh, Larch Mountain. There's just, there's a lot of fun, fun riding around here. I always love going to the coast, too. But the issue, the coast I love because it is an awesome destination very close. I do not love the ways to get there. There is, there's only one route that's incredibly low traffic to get out there, which unfortunately is a little too long for a day's ride if you've got bags on your bike. So I end up often taking the highway out there and it is passable and has a very wide shoulder, but it is just an incredibly long 30 mile uphill climb on the side of a highway. How much of the adventure, or how much of this, the joy here is exploring, and how much of it is like seeing views, and how much of it is like exercising on your way there? What are the, like, what's the point? I don't fully understand. <laughs> it's all, it's all of the above for me. Yeah. I mean, I love doing longer rides and getting out there because, you know, it's, it's definitely adventure. It's, it's exploring, it's finding new roads. I mean, very few things get me more excited than finding a new road and a new way to connect. And on a bike, unlike in a car, you could just be like, oh, I'm going to turn right. Absolutely. And well, actually I, I've been using GPS a lot now, which has really changed things because I can just jump off on these adventures without really knowing the roads really right. and find cool stuff that other people have found. So that's an interesting aspect of cool it. Thing but, you would find like well like for instance this weekend when i rode out to larch mountain uh i literally started going the wrong way the way i was going to go in my head but then the gps that was following this route that i'd uploaded told me to go another way and so i took it and ended up finding this amazing connection of this road it happened to be like this gravel road called alex bar road which is just after lateral falls and it's this gem of a road it's no one's ever on it it's it's you feel like you're discovering something and having like a like it said an adventure you know you're you're on this road it's beautiful okay, you're views. discovering a gravel road yeah. i'm not making a connection <laughs> yeah. here like well it's not it's, not it's not it's not a gem place. of a road oh it's a place that i've never been before some other schmuck built it uses it every day but i don't so I, like what's it, so great I, for me it's about it's about the people that you stumble into and i particularly like bike camping because the people you stumble into are all like, oh my god, you came here on a bike. And really excited, like, when you come to their tiny town. Yeah. And, I mean, my... I don't get as much of a thrill out of finding gravel roads as Jonathan, apparently. Like, Any roads, not just gravel. Yeah, I just yeah. like finding I, new places. I, I mean, I like it because it's, it's a low-cost way for me to do a lot of traveling, and it puts things in perspective. The way to get to know a state, a town, is really by, like, the curves of the landscape. When you've sweated up a hill, you have a way different connection to it than you do when you were just in a car passing by it. Yeah. I've also biked down to Oregon and the California coast, and my whole feeling about Sequoia National Forest is very different than someone that has just driven right. through it. I can tell you the name of each of those hills and the one really awful right. day that everybody that's toured in Northern California has done that involves three hills where you gain a bunch of elevation and then immediately lose it and climb another one. Yeah. The three, yeah, those are... 
Well, and you know, I also love, I love doing, I like finding new roads, but one of the things I love is if you go on established bike touring routes, communities and culture that springs up around it, the coast has so many people going down it in the summer that there's spray painted, you know, graffiti on these incredibly out of the way roads. You're only 10 minutes <laughs> from the top right. or like Devil Hill. <laughs> and, but my, I mean, my best memories rarely involve the actual hills. They tend to involve, or the roads, or even the pedaling. They tend to involve the really awesome food I get to justify eating <laughs> after I've biked 80 miles, and beer, mm-hmm. and the people that I meet. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I've had some, I've had some pretty great experiences. Especially, yours. You're very much at the when you're doing multi-day bike bike trips. You're at the mercy of the goodness of other people if things go wrong uh, a lot of the times. It's, you know, if, if things go really awry, you got to know how to ask for help and talk to people. Uh, okay, cool. I, 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 I'm, I'm a little bit sold. Well, just, just what Lily was saying about it's, it is the best way, I think, to, to discover a place, to, to understand and learn about a place because you can see it on your own account. You can smell everything. You can stop as much as you want. I mean, I, I had the good fortune to spend... Uh, several days in eastern Oregon uh, over summer uh, at, at this Trio Bike Ranch, which was fantastic. And we saw old pioneer homesteads and just stopped and, and thought about, you know, this, these little ghost, these little mini ghost towns, really, out in the middle of nowhere in, in eastern Oregon. And it was just amazing bit of Oregon history unfolding right before us. And actually, some of those roads were dirt, and those roads, nobody is on them. We literally one day basically stopped at the end of the ride and had our beer and hung out on the road. That's a little bit of traffic there is out there. So uh, that was that was a great experience. And yeah, you can really connect to a place when you bike on it. Yeah. And just like the little things that you, you notice on the side of the roads that become significant that you would never notice when you're driving. What's the worst thing that ever happened to you while bike touring? Well, I think, I think the answer that most people would give, and I think you know, the thing that comes to mind for me is that uh, just bad experiences with people, other people on the road. You know, we were on a family uh, overnighter. We, three families rode out to, um, we, we've done that a couple times. We rode it down to Shampooey State Park. And, uh, and we have kids with us. Some of them are like nine and 10 on their own bikes. And we have, you know, kids in trailers, really young. And we're going along and, you know, someone's honking at you and yelling at you to like get up on the road or on the sidewalk or get off the road or this or that. And it's just like, really? You know, we're out trying to enjoy the roads and you're going to be honking and going crazy. But it does kind of put a damper on things and it's kind of a bummer. I've had significantly less of that uh, in recent years, and I don't know if I'm, it's because I've gotten really used to the routes that I'm doing, or because of the power of the tool that we've discovered with Cycle Wild. So, we would always do a Fourth of July trip, and someone one year put small American flags and put them on the back of our bike, and then everybody was just really, instead of honking angrily at us when they passed us on the highway, they would be very excited. We started just having American flags on our bike whenever we were on rural highways. People are way nicer to you in rural Oregon when you have a waving flag on. So my, my worst experience actually relates to kind of one of my best experiences because when I first moved to Portland, I would regularly bike down to Eugene on the weekends because I didn't know a lot of people here, but I knew a lot of people there. I was doing it in the winter and I started to realize how short the days were getting. It was 4 p.m. and it was just pitch black and I'm in the middle of nowhere, like south of Salem uh, in Oregon. There, I'm in this tiny town that appears to have a hardware store and a bar and nothing else. I can't keep biking on this highway in the dark 
it, one, it's going to suck to pitch my tent in the dark at any rate, but, like, I might die if I keep biking on this road in the dark. It's just not bright enough out. And, well, I guess I'll just find a place to pitch it in this town. I'll find someone with land. I was like, there's a bar there. I guess I'll just go into the bar and hang out. Like, it's only 4 p.m., but it's so... I as well go to the bar and have a drink and mm -hmm. figure something out. I go into the bar, and everybody's like, you biked here from Portland? And I got bought lots of drinks. <laughs> uh, they sung karaoke with me. And then when they found out I needed a place to camp for the night, they were like, everybody's like, oh, well, you can you can definitely set up your, your tent at my place, but, you know, actually, let's call Mike because you'll have to go up a hill if you go to my house, but Mike lives just down the road. So we'll call up Mike. And by the end of the night, I ended up getting to stay inside um, didn't have to pitch my tent at all, I got to stay on someone's couch, and they woke up at, you know, five in the morning to make me vegan breakfast before I, uh, <laughs> headed down to Eugene, and now I stop in Sayo every time I'm down, going down to Eugene, that's Fantastic. my halfway point now. People drive across the country, but they don't do that for people who drive across the country. No, no. no. Yeah. That's so, cool, all right. Yeah. What, the, uh, there's also this thing about, like, gravel riding versus pavement riding, we want to, want to talk about that briefly? What's the appeal of the... Of the gravel versus the pavement. Well, it's kind of like, in some ways, it's the hot thing in the bike industry right now, which is interesting. Um, you know, big big companies are trying to make gravel bikes, which is kind of funny. But uh, really, it's just a matter of, uh, it's the bike, biking as an activity is always evolving, you know, whether it's mountain bikes or downhilling or, or whatever it is, or cyclocross gets big. And it just so happens that people are starting to discover how much fun it is just to ride on dirt roads or gravel roads and lo and behold you can do it with a road bike you can do it with a, with a, with a cyclocross bike and essentially what it what it, what's happening is it just makes your you know imagine if you're if you're if you're opening your map and you're someone who likes to do longer distance rides and all of a sudden you open up your map and you've got you know twice as many routes you can consider that's really how i see gravel riding because all of a sudden all these new roads are opened up to you if you just get a little wider tires and get ready to, to go off road a little bit uh and we're not talking about mountain biking or rocks or anything like that it's just just really really mellow gravel so uh it just it kind of opens up a lot of new opportunities so i think that's something that is even further sort of stoking this this activity that's getting popular because there's a lot more route options and they're super fun and it's not like thudda, thudda, thudda. I mean, doesn't it really slow you down? And... Look, it does a little bit, and there's all sorts of different... That's kind of part of the fun. You become like this, you know, gravel connoisseur. There's all these different types of it, you know? <laughs> uh, but most, for, the, for the most part, you're not bouncing up and down that much at all. You know, these it's are a, just... It's a little more like... Uh, <laughs> thudda, thudda, thudda. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Well, the, the, the neat thing... The, another reason why it's so big in Oregon is because we happen to be a, a, a state where there's tons of logging and tons of farming. Mm -hmm. And both of those things require roads that that counties and cities in the state doesn't keep up to par in terms of paving them nicely. So there's just this huge network. A lot of them are like national forest roads, uh, but even even some of them aren't. But there's there's a massive network that people are starting to discover. People are starting to lead these unsanctioned rides that are, you know, encouraging other people to discover them. And then everybody's uploading these routes to their GPS sites, and then everybody's downloading them, putting them. And so it's becoming this really, this really big deal. It's something that that has always kind of bothered me about gravel roads is I don't, I don't find it particularly comfortable, but the, uh, it's just GPSs are making it a lot better because it was always hard to know if that gravel road was going to end anywhere that you wanted it to end. So many of them are unmapped, but now GPSs you can actually kind of see. So let's, we got a couple more topics before we wrap up. One of them we want to talk about is the economics of all of this. There you hear a lot recently about, all the money people are spending on bike tourism in Oregon 
and uh, how much impact it is. Do you guys think that's for real? Is it a bunch of hooey? I think it's for real, uh, but I don't tend to look at studies and stats necessarily before I, f- I think something's for real. I go with my gut a lot yeah, of times, yeah. and to me, it just seems like common sense. You know, if uh, what we have that's going on is we have governments taking notice and, and tourism boards and counties are saying, oh, people like to ride on these roads. Let's promote this. Let's sign this route. Let's create a state-designated scenic bikeway here. Uh, and they're doing all those sorts of things, and then people are showing up to ride them, and then businesses see that, and they want to open up a pub or something else on this route. And we're already seeing that. Like in the Gorge, we just did a story about a, a new brewery that opened up in Cascade Locks. Uh, and especially around Oregon, there's a lot of small towns that in the sort of post, post-logging post era, for a lot of them, are finding that you know catering to people riding riding bikes is a, is a very viable business decision. How many jobs does that really create? Like I saw this video, like how bikes can save rural America, and I thought, like, does saving rural America really constitute, like, hoping that city folk will take their precious city dollars and then come through and, like, buy a sandwich once a week? Like, what's the... It's hard for me to imagine. Like, we talk about banks in Vernonia, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Vernonia has, like, two nice restaurants that cater maybe, what, 15% of their business is coming from the trail? How much difference does that make to a city's economy? I don't know the numbers, Mike. Well, I think if you if you do it right and there's actually... a, a a path that people use a lot, it can yeah. have a significant impact because you're talking about people that are going to go there. They, a lot of people can spend the night. Uh, it kind of, you know, introduces them to other activities in the place. So not every one of these towns is going to get the mix just right. And it's not going to necessarily have a huge impact, but it's something that for very little investment in, in a lot of ways, and, you know, just a little bit of marketing, you can actually get people into these towns. And that's the biggest thing is just having people show up. I, I mean, I've, I'm always skeptical of, of economic development that's tourism based, right? Like we're, we're not going to save Skagway, Alaska in the long term because cruise ships two months mm-hmm. a year, but it is, it's a useful tool to engage people with rural communities. And the main thing in terms of big economic development is things like the Banks Vernonia Trail that then have large events around them. So mm-hmm. they have like the marathon where there's huge influxes of people coming out there mm-hmm. and, you know, spending money in that town. Um, although Banks Vernonia Trail has really, every time I ride out there, any day of the week now, there's a ton of local people just walking on that trail and actually using it as a transportation corridor like, right. to get into town. Yeah, that totally has value, I'm sure. Yeah, I see at the parking lot at the trailhead, there's just tons of cars with bike racks on the back and families that are just out there. You so know, it's, not, it's not just a few people. They just finished the whole Banks Vernonia Trail two years ago. There's, there's a momentum there. One of the hardest things about this from, I mean... I hate to harp on what I said last month, but this is a place where it's really difficult to design economic impact studies. And the attempts that we've seen have been self-reported survey methods, which are generally uh, problematic. Yeah, I I guess I hear what you guys are saying about just like, there's definitely an impact. There's there's money being spent. I don't think bikes are going to save rural America, but I do think that it's an important part of creating vibrant rural towns is increasing the transportation mix and investing in infrastructure that does support tourism. That's a good transition to our last topic, which is policy. How can we as a state and country make it better to get around this way? Well, in Oregon, we've already done quite a nice thing for this activity, which is have our state scenic bikeway program, which is the, the only one I think in the, in the country that's yeah. set up like this. 
so it basically, uh, communities can designate certain routes and then they are vetted out through Oregon Parks and Recreation. Uh, and then they are designated as such as a state scenic bikeway. So they get, they get a really nice map done by the state. They get uh, signage and, and other things and they get promotion. They get partnerships with the hotels and the restaurants along the way and all that stuff. Uh, so that's a great step. What I'd like to see is a little more respect and attention uh, from the legislative side to make sure that, that these routes, and we could start with these scenic bikeways, but to make sure that these routes are actually pleasant and nice to ride on. And I think there's a ton of work that can be done to make our existing safe passing law uh, more robust, you could say, since it's it has very little teeth now. Nobody knows about it. It's never enforced. Um, so I, I had some sort of legislative ideas that I think I might be talking up next go-round, which is to basically... Now that the state scenic bikeways are officially recognized in state law, uh, it's it's pretty simple relatively to attach things to that, like we did with the neighborhood greenways. So we got those in law, and then we said, let's do 20 mile per hours and use those streets as the place to do them. So that's, that's how we got 20 mile per hour uh, residential speed limits. So in the same way with state scenic bikeways, what I'd like to do is attach new pieces of legislation to those routes that are designated uh, hmm. as those bikeways. For instance, you could say on, on state scenic bikeways, certain types of traffic violations have double the fines uh, for, for starters, you know, especially ones that have to do with passing or, you know, so right off the top, safe passing law could be fines doubled. Mm -hmm. uh, but a lot of it could just be sort of marketing and outreach commitments from, from the state or from whoever manages the roads. Uh, you could just call them, you know, bicycle safety corridors, do more stuff like that. Right. Uh, and you could sign those pretty easily. There's really not much in terms of uh, enforcement stuff or in terms of letting people know, hey, these people on the side of the road on their bikes, like this is their vacation or yeah. these people, you know, have just as much right to be out here as, as you know, you well, do. So. And the signage for the scenic bikeways at the moment, which I would love more of it, but I do really love and appreciate it. It's very targeted at bicycles. The size, the font size and the sign size and placement where bicycles are going to notice it. So it's not necessarily creating awareness on the road for drivers that they should expect, expect bikes there. And at the moment, it's not necessarily coupled with a certain amount of, of share the road signs mm -hmm. or you know expect bikes on roadway signs anywhere. In Portland, now we use sharrows, giant sharrows to mark bike boulevards instead of eight inch round bike circles that you can only see if you're on a bike. And mm -hmm. this is one of the same things. It's like, creating awareness that you should expect bikes on the roadway. Yeah, I actually had an idea for like a state campaign. You know, they have click it or ticket, stuff like that. I think it'd be a really great campaign uh, that I've thought about could be called uh, Slow Down and Go Around, hmm. something like that, of that nature, mm -hmm. uh, just to get people to realize that, you know, don't make an unsafe pass, slow yeah. down, make sure you go around the person. Uh, there's So there's a lot we can do to, to make those those corridors better. I mean, we, we have signs that say, you know, turn on your headlights for safety. Mm -hmm. because this place has been designated as a place where a lot of people crash. Mm -hmm. And so I think it'd be real easy for Oregon to say, you know, this is a bicycle safety corridor. This is a state scenic bikeway. You know, recognize that. You're going to get popped with twice the fine if you do anything stupid. Uh, here's a message. It's going to be a fun marketing thing. And right. also, you know, just be aware. Do you guys see that thing in Georgia where the lawmaker wants to ban bicycles on, like, out-of-state or out-of-city highways? Yeah, that's, that's mm -hmm. kind of a common thing. Because like I said before, like, a lot of these roads don't necessarily have big shoulders yeah. and 
you know, so it's it's sometimes easier for policymakers just to be like, ah, they're just a nuisance, you know, the, those darn bike riders. But that's kind of silly. We would never do that in Oregon, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> way too sensible of, of lawmakers and yeah. way too much respect for bicycling. Yeah. Uh, but so it's yeah, not so, so much a conservative liberal thing as much as an exposure thing. It's a, I think it is an exposure thing, more, far more than it has to do with the party divide. Especially when it comes to recreational riding, it's, it crosses parties very easily, but it's about... Do people do it? Do they do it? Like, do lawmakers do it themselves? Do they go out and ride with their families on the weekends? It's like, do you have a gay family member, right? Right, right. <laughs> it's the same thing. Well, that's kind of one of the one of the issues is that riding on these kind of roads doesn't doesn't enjoy the same kind of respect from lawmakers and elected leaders uh, as sort of the more urban transportation does. You don't have advocacy groups really focusing on these issues and you don't have a constituency that that lives adjacent to a lot of these roads a lot of times it's un- unpopulated mm-hmm. but even if it is it's not like the folks that are bta members aren't living next right, to these things right. so the so the so the lawmakers aren't hearing from their citizens saying hey we want safer mm-hmm. rural roads that often so that's that's kind of an issue so we have to figure out you know how to raise this raise awareness of this stuff and i think the fact that more people are doing it and talking about it and now like the industry doing this gravel thing and all these unsanctioned rides there's all this momentum so now's a good time to start talking about it more and if you want to get involved with advocacy as part of cycle wild we do we do advocacy on these issues so i guess the lesson is that every time you go out there you are being an advocate by exposing more people to the idea that this is something that can be done safely and fun in their area safer the more people are riding yeah so get out there yeah sweet we sort of spoiled the tip of the month this month. I didn't month. realize this was our low-card <laughs> tip when I said it. I didn't fully warn you, but your low-card tip of the month this month for touring is to put an American flag on the back of your bicycle. This come, came to me from Matt Piccio, who also organizes Cycle Wild, and it seems like a pretty good idea to not just increase your visibility, but to emphasize the shared nature of our, all our common love for America. Well put. Yeah. TriMet tweets of the month. Lily, have you been scouring the internet for them? I have been scouring the internet for some TriMet tweets. These are um, these are great things people say on Twitter about TriMet, of course. Um, so Dan Christensen, our tweeting TriMet driver, says, Overheard on my TriMet bus. If the train and the bus ain't open, how will I get home? Wise butt in the back says, Walkin', walkin' open 24-7. TriMet scanner. Max trains Cyclops light out on both ends. Operator asks if electric bill has been paid. <laughs> Some Dave says, Reason 503 that car to go Portland is better than a bus. TriMet drivers don't like it when you roll down the windows and turn up cheap trick. PDX TriMet rider. Boink, boink, boink. Wiggle, wiggle, boink. I'm on the west. Couldn't you tell? And... <laughs> PDX TriMet writer, I have never wanted the bus to hit a dip in the road more. I'd love to see this person mess up her eyebrow makeup. Oh, boy. That's a pretty sophisticated West joke. <laughs> the commuter rail joke. And that's our show. You can subscribe to the show at bikeportland.org slash podcast and send us any comments you have at podcast at bikeportland.org. And you can spread the word by about the show by searching for Portland Afoot on iTunes and leaving a review. You can follow me at Anomaly on Twitter. And you can follow at Bike Portland on Twitter and find us on Facebook as well. I'm Jonathan Moss, the publisher of Bike Portland. I'm Michael Anderson, Bike Portland's news editor. And I'm Lillian Kerbake, your podcast producer. Thanks for listening and remember to exit through the back. Pass on the left. And don't forget to thank your bus driver.